Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see so many folks out today. Good to see some folks out on the live stream as well. And want to welcome you to Morning Hour Chapel this morning. Grab my clicker. I haven't used this in a few weeks. Oh, before we start uh, this morning, I want to say uh, a big thank you to all of the people who put in countless hours uh, to make our Holy Week services uh, so special and such a blessing to everyone. Um, our praise team, our hymn team, uh, the Chapel Lights Ministry who put on that fantastic breakfast on Easter morning, our deacons, those who participated through scripture reading, child care. Um, as a pastor, I'm just tremendously blessed to have so many people serving God in so many ways with so many incredible gifts and talents like Wendy was talking about this morning. So I want to thank you for your willingness to serve uh, over the, the Holy Week and, and throughout the year as well. How many of you uh, like to take pictures? Any, any picture takers? Yeah, there's a hand that just shot right up. Uh, we, we love to take pictures, don't we? we? We must have, oh, I don't know, what, about two dozen uh, photo albums higher? Yeah. The ones I know about, anyway. Um, the ones that are actually seen, not the ones that are all over the house. But we love it. We love to take pictures. We like to uh, scroll through our phones sometimes um, and, and look at the memories, look at the things that we've done. We like to reminisce uh, about an event or about a person that's in the photo. I know uh, there are uh, Wendy last night was showing uh, uh, our older son's girlfriend some pictures from when he was a child, which, of course, mothers love to do, right? Um, but nowadays, it's, it's incredibly easy to just snap a picture, right? As soon as we see something happening, we can take our phones out and we can turn on the, the, the picture. We might even just be able to press a button and take a picture. We can delete the pictures that we don't like or uh, delete the pictures that we're told to delete because the person we took the picture of doesn't like them. And we can use photo correction software right on our phone. We can put digital filters in. We can make the pictures look exactly the way we want them to look. Uh, and this is easier than, even than, say, 10 years ago when we had digital cameras, right? We, and we kind of have gone along in this process of taking pictures. We, take, we took those digital cameras and we were able to take pictures. We could see them right away, right? And we could delete the ones and everything. But it didn't always used to be that way, did it? How many of you remember using cameras that actually uh, had film in them? A couple of people, right? We used to have to load the film. We used to have to take the... And, we, and, and of course, if we wanted good pictures, we had to have a good camera, right? And, you had to, and you'd always see the people. And we see some people today still, but they're using digital. But, you know, everyone's... And, and they're doing this kind of thing. And, it could, and we want to get those pictures. But we, and then, of course, we had to uh, take the film out of the camera, being very careful not to expose the film to the light. And then we would take it and either develop it ourselves or we would take it to the film developers. And everything. there was all this stuff that we had to do just to get a good picture. And then, of course, we'd look at all of the pictures, and uh, three of them out of the 24 on the roll would be good, right? And we'd toss the rest or whatever. And, of course, you know, we never wanted to make that commitment to get double prints because, you know, who wants to pay double for bad pictures? But we, we love being able to look at things. And some of us have old photos of family. Some of us have photos of family that are over 100 years old, which is not 
necessarily as old as you think because that's still in the 1900s now. That, uh, that was 100 years old for those of you who are feeling pretty old. Um, but we have these old photos and sometimes uh, we'll pull them out and, and we'll see them or we'll find them. Uh, I know I found some photos in my dad's storage unit from when, uh, after he passed away and you know, they're all like bent and faded and cracked and all of these things. And one of the things that we can do is we can go to somebody uh, who can restore these old photos. We can take old photos and have them fixed so that we can make them look a little bit more like when they were first taken. So this photo here, we take a look at the photo restoration. And, you know, you see this really faded, cracked, it's almost, it's almost hard to tell who this person might be. And professional artists, professional restorers will be able to take that picture and make it look just a little bit more like it did when it was taken. And we can do that even with paintings, because before there were photos, there were paintings, and we're going uh, kind of way back here, right? But we take a look at this picture. This is a picture called Twin Girls. I'm not sure why. Um, it doesn't look terrible, right? We can tell what it is. We can, we can see the, the subject and everything. There's a little bit of marring down here at the bottom and on the side. But this, this uh, painting has been restored. And now it looks like that. And we can see that this was actually a nice, bright painting. Um, the girls aren't smiling any more than they do now when you take pictures of your children. Um, but we can see that, you know, the, the restoration has taken place. The, the, the things that were kind of wrong with it have been made right. Or how about this painting of Christ from the 1500s? Some of you probably can't even make out that, that this would be a, a painting of Christ. We can maybe make out the crown of thorns a little bit. We see the beard. Um, but it's almost like not visible. But after it had been restored, we discover a couple of things. This is the painting that had been covered with all kinds of dirt and, and lacquer and things like that. And we notice a couple of things. First of all, we notice now that, yes, it is actually a portrait of, of Christ. And as a portrait of Christ, uh, with the crown of thorns on his head. But in the, in the previous painting, if you look really closely, you'll notice that, that the body of Christ was clothed. And in this painting, we see the bare chest and the arms and the hand covering the uh, place where Jesus was, sta uh, was stabbed with that spear. This is the way that the artist intended for people to see his work. Now, restoring things, is a, it's, a, it's a painstaking work. Um, and I've seen like documentaries and things like that of, of people you know, restoring paintings, restoring cars, restoring all kinds of things. Um, you know, we, we see these TV shows where people restore houses, right? They take these 100-year-old farmhouses and they get all of like as much uh, original material as possible, and they put those things back together. And we kind of get an idea of how they looked, how they felt. And they work to restore them just like the artist 
or the photographer or the builder or the designer originally meant for them to look, meant for them to work. And sometimes it's, it's possible to restore things to a, a specific purpose, to a useful purpose, like a car, right? We restore cars. Anybody restore cars here? No car restorers here? Okay, that's okay. Um, I know friends who, who restore cars, and they spend years looking for the parts, looking for the, getting the paint right and everything else. But even smaller things like this. Anybody know what this is? Anybody ever been to France? This is an antique French bread slicer. It looks kind of a little bit like a guillotine, and they, they kind of made it <laughs> look that way. But it's an antique bread slicer, and it does. It looks, it looks antique. It looks vintage, doesn't it? How many of you would like to slice your baguette with this uh, rusty, uh, dirty, old thing? I'm not sure I would. But, and, and I know, you know we're talking about all this, and you might be thinking, Pastor Joe, this is all fascinating and everything, but what does it have to do with what you're talking about? Well, I'm glad you've asked. Because over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a sermon series called A Restoration Project. God makes us new. And we're going to go and take a look at what happens after we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We uh, spent a lot of time during Lent talking about uh, why Jesus came. We talked about how we get to the Father, how we get uh, a, a reconciled relationship with him. And yes, we're going to use our antique bread slicer um, to uh, kind of make some parallels with this sermon series. But when we talked during Lent, we talked about how God created us, and he created us perfect. He created the world perfect. And humanity turned its back on God. And because it turned its back on God through disobedience, through pride, it brought death to the human soul. And we learned that Jesus came from heaven to earth to live as one of these uh, imperfect human beings, except that he wasn't imperfect. Jesus was the only human being who ever lived who lived without sin. He lived without sin because he lived in perfect obedience to the will of God the Father. Everything that the Father asked him to do, he did. They didn't always do it without question. Like on the night that he was betrayed when he said, Father, if it's possible, let this be taken away from me. Don't, don't make me have to die. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus did the will of the Father. And because he did the will of the Father, because he was mercilessly crucified, because he was beaten, because he was flogged, he opened the way for humanity back to the Father. And he rose from the dead as a way for humanity's souls to be reborn, to be restored. Jesus rose from the dead so that we, our spirits, could rise from the dead. And he rose from the dead so that we could have the opportunity for eternal life. So one of the words that the Bible uses for the result of Christ's work, all of this stuff that he did on the cross, all of the things that he did rising from the dead, and even the teachings that he gave us, this work is uh, called in the Bible redemption. 
And we're going to take a look at this word redemption or this word to redeem. And the definition, the dictionary definition of redeem is to compensate for the false or bad aspects of something or to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. And we all know what, how this works. When we buy something, we go buy groceries, we buy shoes, we buy HDMI cables, we buy cell phones. Whatever we buy, the store owns it, right? They have purchased that item from the manufacturer. The manufacturer said, here, you take it for this price, and then you sell it to whoever wants it. And we go into the store, we give them money, or we give them a credit card, and now we own the shoes, or the cell phone, or the HDMI cable. And that item is now ours to do with as we want. If I don't want to use my HDMI cable as an HDMI cable, I want to use it to hang plants, I can do that. I am perfectly able to use that, uh, to, to use that item. Might not do it that way, but I'm free to do it with it as I please because I have purchased that item. And Jesus' work on the cross, Jesus' work in the grave served as a payment. But the payment was for our souls. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. How many of you want to know what God's will is? We ask that all, oh God, what is your will for my life? Here's your answer. God's will for your life is for you to be united with him and for you to be united with everything else in heaven and on earth. That's God's will. How God wants you to accomplish that will is going to be different for each person. But this is the will of the Father. He wants everything to be united. And these three verses are basically a summary of the, the sermon series that I just preached. I could have read these three, these three uh, verses every week and then said, see ya, go home. But I didn't because I like to talk. But, but it's all here. Jesus planned to come to earth. He planned to come to earth at the right time to shed his blood so that sin could be forgiven. He made this plan in order to unite all things to the Father, to bring anyone who believes in him to himself so that he can then present us forgiven to God the Father as sinless new creations. And he did it all by the riches of his grace. Jesus doesn't run out of money to purchase souls. Jesus doesn't run out of resources to rescue us from Satan. The riches of his grace are never ending. He has got room for everyone. And there is nothing, there is nothing that we can do to earn it. We cannot earn this free gift 
only thing that is required for us to be forgiven is that we accept this free gift. We accept this gift in a couple of ways. We accept it by believing. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, he, that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We accept Jesus' work on the cross, this free gift of salvation, by believing it. By believing that this is why he came. This is his purpose for us to unite us to the Father. And we accept this free gift by confessing that yes, we are dead in sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we believe and when we confess, we accept that Jesus bought us. He paid the price for our sin. He paid so that he could bring us back to life in the soul. He has redeemed us. And by believing and confessing, our souls are brought back to life. And this, this is the good news. That redemption, instantaneous. We don't have to wait for it. We don't have to work for it. We can't work for it. When we confess our sins, when we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and that God raised him from the grave, when we call Jesus our Lord, our souls are cleansed from all unrighteousness. And there's a big, really kind of churchy-sounding word for this. And we call it justification. Now, some of you who have been around church for a long time have heard this term, justification. And when we are presented to the Father by the Son, we are presented justified. I've heard it said, justification means just as if I'd never sinned, which is kind of a good description of it, but justification really is a legal term, and it means that a debt has been satisfied, and that the person who owed the debt is no longer obliged to pay it. So when we stand before God and he sits at the judge's bench, Satan, the prosecutor, will tell God that we have sinned, we are sinners. Humanity is no good. They should be in hell with me. And he reminds God that the wages of sin is death. But then our defense attorney, Jesus Christ, stands up from the table and he presents evidence. He holds up a receipt. A receipt that is covered with his blood and he tells the father that our debt has been paid. And he puts that receipt down on the judge's bench. This person owes nothing. I have paid the price for the wages of sin. I have died. I have risen again so that this person might live. And God dismisses the case. We are set free, and our attorney, Jesus Christ, advises us 
Go and sin no more. That's justification. And it's instantaneous. But being tried and exonerated, being redeemed, being justified, that's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. Because we still have life to live on this earth. When we are justified, when we are redeemed, we don't die in the body. We stay alive in the body for God's purposes. We stay alive in the body because we have work to do. We are called to live lives that are pleasing to God the Father and that will allow people to see Christ in us. And when they see Christ in us, when we live our lives so that Christ is broadcast all the time, we are bearing witness. We are, wit we are being witnesses of Jesus' work. We are being witnesses of his desire to restore humanity to the Father. And bearing witness, again, that's another one of those churchy-sounding terms, right? Basically, it's another courtroom term. It means we're giving testimony. And I know testimony sometimes sounds like a big churchy word. But we give testimony in court. Anybody ever been to court, had to give testimony before? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. If you're in witness protection, I don't want you to, you know, get in trouble or anything. <clears throat> but in a court case, if we have witnessed something that has happened, we are called to the witness stand. We are called to give testimony, to describe what has happened from our point of view. Now, we can't tell anybody what's happened from anybody else's point of view, but we can say what we have seen, we can say what we have heard, we can say what was going on in our sphere here. And we can do the same thing when we testify for Jesus Christ. When we have come to forgiveness in Jesus, he calls us as witnesses in that great courtroom. But this time, we are witnessing to those who do not believe. We are testifying that Jesus Christ has raised us from the dead spiritually. We are testifying that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. And we are testifying that Jesus Christ is good. That His work is perfect. And that if we are raised to life in our souls that we can be sure that we're going to live eternal lives with God the Father. Jesus calls us to be witnesses. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You're going to tell people about me everywhere. You are going to show me everywhere. Your lives should reflect me everywhere. And the end goal of being witnesses of Jesus Christ is to follow Christ's instruction from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. When we accept 
the free gift of forgiveness of sins. And he redeems and cleanses us from all unrighteousness so that we are justified before God the Father. We are called to live our lives by observing all that Christ taught, all that he commanded. That's what we're supposed to do. And by living all that Christ taught and living all that Christ commanded, we are perfect witnesses. We give perfect testimony that Jesus is who he says he is and that he does what he says he is going to do. We are called to live our lives as a testimony to the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross so that we can point other people to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross so that they might be redeemed, so that they might be presented to God the Father, cleansed of all unrighteousness, found innocent of sin, case dismissed. And we're called to make disciples. Because after those people are redeemed, after those people have accepted this free gift of Jesus Christ, they need to know what they're supposed to do. How many of you knew when you were first saved exactly what you were supposed to do and how you were supposed to do it? I still don't know. I got I to gotta look at it every day. And sometimes I fail. Now, I know none of you fail. Sometimes I fail. But Jesus calls us to be disciples, and he calls us to make disciples. But the good news is, he doesn't call for us to do it alone. He sends us a helper. Look at Acts 1.8 again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You don't have to do it alone. You shouldn't be doing it alone. If you are studying the Bible, if you are studying Scripture, and you are doing it all on your own to try to make your own understanding of it, you're doing it wrong. And I know because I did it wrong for a lot of years. And there are a lot of people doing it wrong now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit is God, the third member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit lives within those who have been redeemed. And He lives within us to teach us how to obey Christ's teaching and His commands. Jesus tells His disciples this in John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We don't have to do it alone. This is crucial. We must understand this as followers of Jesus Christ because we still do have to live here on earth. And we live among sin. It's just a fact. I work in a high school. I work among sin. Not because they want to sin, but because they don't know. And my job is to reflect Christ in the way that I live. Not necessarily to preach every morning. Not necessarily to read Bible verses 
but to live my life loving the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, and loving my neighbor as myself and my neighbor when I'm at school is my students. Loving them as I love myself, loving them like maybe other teachers don't. Loving them sometimes like their parents don't. And they may not know why I love them when other people don't, but they know that I do love them. And that is a witness for Jesus Christ. We live in this world of sin because Satan still wields power over this world. Satan is still here. Satan is still influential. And we are not able to be witnesses for Christ alone. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need a helper. We need a teacher. We, meet, we need a reminder of everything that Christ taught us while he lived on earth. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to live lives that are pleasing to God. And while redemption and justification are instantaneous, living a holy life lasts for the rest of your life. Every minute that you live on this earth, in these bodies, we are called to live lives that are holy. And this process is known by another really big churchy sounding word. Sanctification. I almost feel as though I should fold my hands and bow my head when I say sanctification. And it is. It's a, it's a churchy word. It's a Bible word. It's in the Bible. It's there. You be sanctified. But honestly, simply sanctification just means the process of making something holy or set apart for the purpose of doing the work of God. After we are redeemed, we start the work of sanctification. We start the work of being made holy, being made useful to God. We go from being useless to being witnesses, from useless to useful in doing the work of Jesus Christ. And another word that we could use for sanctification, something that I think is more understandable, is restoration. Every day, as we live life in the Spirit, as we follow the commands and the teachings of Jesus Christ, we are restored, our souls, a little bit more every day, made more useful for the work of God. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the ways that the Holy Spirit helps us to become more useful. We're going to take a look at how the Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us and cleanses us so that we can be useful doing the work of the kingdom of God. And we'll be using uh, a video that shows us the incredible detail that goes into restoring something for its useful purpose. This is uh, just a tiny little part of this video, the very beginning. I don't want to give too much. The antique 
French bread slicer. I already heard somebody go, ew, as it started scraping back and forth. You know, when he was trying to pick that, uh, that knife up, it was actually supposed to go up. But it doesn't right now. Because it's dirty, and it's rusty, and it's corroded. Oh yeah, that sounds even better, doesn't it? Slow motion scraping. So we're going to use this. This is a whole video on YouTube, and I'm going to use portions of it uh, as we look at taking this bread slicer from a place of being dead, from a place of being corroded and useless, and we'll watch as this bread slicer becomes useful again. And as we watch this bread slicer become useful again, we'll learn about the tools that the Holy Spirit uses to restore us to usefulness again for the kingdom of God. But even more, we will learn one very important thing, that we are responsible for doing the things that the Holy Spirit teaches us. We are responsible not only for being disciples ourselves, but of making disciples of other people. We are responsible for the work. We need to do things as we become more and more holy, more and more sanctified, less rusty, less dead. I hope that you'll be able to join us. And I pray that even this week that you'll start exploring and using the tools that the Holy Spirit has given us, the Bible and prayer. Start learning how it is that God wants to use you and use me for the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can be redeemed that we can be seen in your eyes as alive, that we can be seen in your eyes as free of all unrighteousness, free of all sin. We thank you that you planned with your son to make it that way. Jesus, we thank you for your work on the cross, your work in the grave, and we thank you for the teaching that you gave us to show us how we are supposed to be living so that we can build God's kingdom. We ask that over the next few weeks as we explore these tools, as we explore the things that the Holy Spirit does in us and through us, that you will open our hearts and our minds, that you will help us to do the work of the kingdom, to do the work of discipleship, so that we can see many saved, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As you leave here this morning, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will set your paths straight. Listen for the teaching of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Live lives that are pleasing to God and that are useful for the building of His kingdom. 
God bless you.